You're listening to the School of Movies podcast, episode 133, originally recorded 24th of April 2014. In this episode, Daniel Floyd takes us through all six of the wartime Disney movies, namely Saludos Amigos, The Three Cavalieros, Make Mine Music, Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Though most people have never even heard of these, much less seen them, they still count in the canon that puts numbers on the side of your Disney DVDs and Blu-rays. To put it mildly, they're weird, cheap, and kind of fascinating. So join us for some off-the-beaten-track Disney exploration. Welcome to School of Movies. I move that these six actually be stricken from the record, and just that Disney reset their own canon and renumber everything. Between Bambi and Cinderella, just make Cinderella number six. And then everything move backwards. And then a couple more of the other ones that we mentioned before. Chicken Little, gone. (laughs) Just strike it from the goddamn record. It does not deserve to be on the same list. Yeah, I... I kind of agree. Like, I, I don't know that I'd want them just striking ones off the list that just that are bad. I feel like they should maintain, like... Well, bad you, is ultimately, uh, is entirely subjective. The, the ones we've exactly. mentioned that we, we don't like. I mean, like, there's got to be someone out there for whom The Three Caballeros is the best Disney film ever. Probably not listening to this podcast, but um, it, statistically likely. But there is a very real way you could just point to these and say, they're not actually movies. They're collections of shorts. They really kind of are, so, and some definitely more than others. This, this is not, a very weird period in Disney yeah. history. They're not really stories told in the same way. They're not structured the same as the rest. Ergo, they, they don't fit. I, a Chicken Little, much as I hate it, at least is telling a story. There are some Disney animated features that I definitely think that are not included in kind of the canon list that I believe very much should be. And it is very... It Any is that curious you could name that some or? of these... There are some, and I, I wonder if there are some other additional reasons why they don't include them. I think a Goofy movie, actually, mm-hmm. I mean, it was theatrically released. I believe it might have partly been made by kind of a external Disney studio. They, mm. which, if that's their like their qualifications, then fair enough. Yeah. I'm sure some of the, the a lot of these uh, kind of the era of really late Disney sequels kind of were much in the same way, made by a different studios and satellites. Like Jungle and Book Two and Peter Pan Two, Return to Neverland. Uh, yeah. There's a reason why Dinosaur wasn't originally on there because it's not uh, cell animation. They went, well, we're not including this in the theatrical animation thing. This is just sort of a side thing, and we'll see if this works and if it does. I mean, it's not even like the backgrounds are all real live action. They've they've overlaid. It's no more an animated film than Roger Rabbit is. Uh, but yeah. then they retroactively, after they started putting stuff out like Chicken Little and uh, Bolt, said, um, technically, shouldn't Dinosaur count? And then suddenly it did. So I think if they can make sudden additions to the list, they can also make sudden subtractions to the list. Is it true that the most recent Winnie the Pooh film still isn't on the list for you guys? In England, no. That's madness. Co- we are going to cover it anyway. Good, because it's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, back where we were. Um, uh, so yeah, Saludos Amigos, The Three Caballeros, Make My Music, Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Feel free to conglomerate these if you wish. All right, so... If you can make them distinct, then good, but yeah. Yeah, I I think I can. So Pinocchio, Fantasia, and Bambi were labor-intensive, complex, and didn't immediately turn a profit. Dumbo was cheaper and quicker to make, and ironically proved their biggest success in Snow White. Then in the early 40s, the European distribution was blocked because of the war. Between 42 and 49, many of their animators were recruited to the armed forces, and the U.S. government requested that they make smaller compilation packages of animated shorts, many of which were inspired by trips to the Southern Americas in order to win favor with some territories down there, which may otherwise have had sympathies and ties with Germany and the Axis. They also produced propaganda films like De Fuhrer's Face, in which Donald Duck is forced to eat crappy Nazi food in a Germany-occupied nightmare USA. Education for Death, the making of a Nazi, in which a young lad named Hans is indoctrinated into the Hitler Youth and loses his humanity, and Commando Duck, in which Donald destroys an entire Japanese airbase. It was a tentative period, and Disney were never truly as strong and confident throughout as the moment they were when Snow White first hit the big screen. And they wouldn't be again until Cinderella hit. Go for it, Dan. 
uh, take take us through these one by one. The first one was the Saludos Amigos. Yeah, yeah that's forty two. The, the 40s were very weird for Disney. Out of these spectacular scenes, the gay, colorful rhythms of Brazil at Mardi Gras time, the pulse-pounding sweep of the pampas, the exotic beauty of Peru, Argentina, Brazil, out of the romantic laughter of dashing gauchos and carefree dancers comes the inspiration for Walt Disney's glorious new musical feature, Saludos Amigos. Introducing you to the dancing llamas of Peru. What's his name? Here's And Pedro, the baby airplane who has to fly the mail all by himself because his partner has a cold. Bringing you Goofy in a new setting. And Donald, trying his best to learn that tantalizing South American dance, the samba, from his Brazilian friend, Joe Carioca. To the tempo of that top hit tune, Brazil. It was released pretty much the same week as Bambi, I might add. It was August yeah. 13th was Bambi, August 24th was Saludos Amigos. So 11 days later, after their fifth animated feature, their sixth came out. Yeah. So, yeah, like like you said, the government had approached Disney about making some films to aid the war effort. And given the miserable state they were in financially at the time, he kind of jumped at it. And this was the first of the three features that was made. Like one of the features that he made, which isn't on this list, of won't be talking about it, which can, uh, Victory Through Air Power, mm -hmm. very much a much more straight-up kind of propaganda film. Yeah. Very, very clearly military-sponsored. The other two, the, the Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, are a lot more subtle about it. And it basically, yeah, the government had sponsored Disney and a bunch of Disney staff going down to Latin America uh, to promote relations with Central and South America. And basically what they came back with, the films are very much, they feel very infotainment. Kind of like little mini documentaries with fun little animated shorts interspersed throughout, some of which are relevant and some of which really aren't to uh, to. South and Central America. It does seem quite like, 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 like we got a we got ninety minutes to fill. Let's just put some stuff in for some. Uh, hang on, let me just check the actual runtime on this one. Uh, they're pretty, they're over an hour, but yeah, they're they're more they're, substantial in some cases than some of the things like Dumbo. Yeah, I'm and you feel surprised it. given <laughs> the because uh, there is a lot of live action in Saludos Amigos mm. as well that I am su surprised that this one is still counted on the list even for even for that reason yeah but still it wouldn't win an oscar if it was for animation i am and it's still like there is definitely some appeal and charm to salados amigos and three caballeros in a very different way not as a disney story feature but imagine like just an, that we haven't ever watched them because and i hadn't because okay yeah basically what's the plot for the for the average person who is never going to even find these on a, a, a shelf all right, the plot, quote unquote, of um, Salos <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amigos specifically is is almost like a little documentary of the. All right, let's film Disney and a bunch of his staff flying down to South America to several key little locations. See them kind of uh, just film some stuff from the different locations we go to. Just kind of give a little look at the different cities and there's some cool stuff there. And let's make some little animated sequences, kind of for each city and region we visit just that something that 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 area inspires in us to create so some of them so some of these little sequences uh and i think there are four in um Saludos amigos there's uh first is donald duck as a tourist visiting late titicaca and meeting locals and like uh and hanging out with a llama it, it basically very uh kind of documentary sort of like the like sort of training video like the goofy illustrating yeah. how to 
how to play baseball, one of those sort of things. It's I wanted to just say that this is the first proper Donald Duck film, then, isn't it? So actually, striking these from the record, you'd be getting rid of a lot of Donald history, or at least uh, I guess so. to a different list. I, I will say um, that the difference between Mickey Mouse as a character who appeared, how would you characterize Mickey? Uh, very cheerful. Well, I guess it depends on what era of Mickey you're talking about because he changes quite a lot. But uh, yeah. very over, much over a, time, in general, if you could pin him, pin Mickey Mouse, the classic Mickey, down to like a couple of uh, adjectives, what would it be? A very cheerful, optimistic, um, friendly, good-natured, uh, little uh, clumsy sometimes. Yeah, clumsy at times. The kind of little guy you can't keep down. Very much a uh, just. Uh, oh, sometimes bites off a bit more than he can chew. Quite brave, but at the same time, quite scared. Yeah, yeah. And uh, depending on the era you're in, sometimes ad- quite agitatable and can get kind of uh, mischievous. But uh, some some eras more than others. But that's, yeah, overall. That's so more very... recently. Uh, but Donald yeah. Duck is a duck that everything makes angry. <laughs> and I can really relate to it. <laughs> in comparison to Mickey, Donald is the tits. Um <laughs> Now, obviously, in, in these ones, he's a lot more cheerful. He's getting presents and stuff. But uh, if you've ever actually watched Donald in uh, the uh, cartoons on his own, and they've got five to eight minutes to uh, to have some fun with Donald, usually something will drive him absolutely crazy. And to yeah. that extent, I, I completely and utterly favor Donald over Mickey and always will. I was going to say that um, if you to put them in South Park context, if Mickey is Stan, then Donald is Cartman, and no, no, I realise no. that that means I'm comparing you to Cartman. Mickey is Butters. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, we're getting slightly off the curve for something here. Uh, either way, Donald is paired up with his South American equivalents in Saludos Amigos. Uh, yes, uh, the uh, next segment. Um, oh, no, it's not the next segment. Well, he meets an obstinate llama. In Lake Titicaca. Yeah, yeah, it's it's lots of little independent shorts that have very little to do with each other. The next one involves a little plane named Pedro uh, taking over the mail route for his father plane. It's very, very cute. Um, Santiago Chile. Yeah. Uh, the next one's uh, El Guacho Goofy, which is very much one of those sort of um, just those goofy type shorts, like a sort of how-to shorts where uh, basically American cowboy Goofy is mysteriously taken to the Argentine Pampas uh, and learns the ways of the guacho basically changes his costume kind of change it just that they're basically just showing how cowboy like these, these uh, guys are. But you see what we, I mean, when I said these aren't even really films, no. we've, we've just gone through, I mean, obviously Fantasia isn't, but four of the other five are, have a really straightforward narrative with a character that gets imperiled and needs to get themselves out of this. Yeah, these these are very much like I said, infotainment, very light documentary. It's the kind of thing I actually would not mind watching a series of just to like like here's all right. Well, let's go to a region of the world and let's have kind of some very light uh, first like a crash course. Here's kind of what this region is like and some fun little entertaining shorts about it. Like I would watch that actually probably independently, but it's definitely not the kind of feature that Disney was known for, mm. and it it doesn't have a real continuous story other than the. Well, in Saludos Amigos, kind of the documentary tale of here are the Disney animators going to from place to place. And then later from Three Caballeros, they tried to kind of at least have a story framing device. And it's Donald receiving kind of a series of gifts from the friends he made going to South America before. One of the friend, the main friend being a uh, Brazilian bird named Jose Carioca, who uh, that's the one with a cigar. Yeah, yeah. Green bird with cigars. Very, uh charming charismatic kind of fun bird later is in um, el contador in there as well the, the the condor uh wait i don't remember the condor uh hang on ignore that sorry carry. okay it might be and i just completely spaced out on him the other one uh <laughs> comes in at the three caballeros which is a uh bird from mexico named uh panchito <laughs> pistoles <laughs> who's yeah <laughs> who very Yosemite Sam in his predilection for gunplay, but not in his predilection for getting extremely angry. Again, I can I can I can relate to Yosemite Sam. No, it's yeah, no, that he is all Although fun all and Sylvester. Just, he is, but yeah, he's just, he'll just fire the pistols off everywhere just because he is having a very great time. These again, they were trying to uh, the nurture um, uh, relations with Mexico as well. This was yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't fault the fact that. 
that South America did not join the Germans in the war against America. And if it was in any way to do with this, then job done. And I yeah. certainly can't fault the fact that Disney exists to this day, so they kept the company afloat. They, they, you know, clearly they did their job. I'm very grateful they did them. I, 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 the only thing I'm questioning is their relevance of, on this long, long list. Yeah, as a bit of Disney history, they're definitely very interesting and relevant as a as films to be included amongst the Disney canon of feature films, they are, they really are. Yeah, they do. They don't fit particularly well. They really do just kind of feel like a bit of history. Because obviously each one's got multiple episodes and and we've got multiple of these to cover and we're kind of running out of time to cover them in. Um, Are you able to sort of point out the best bits in the six and the worst bits in the six? Yeah, I think I can. The, the um, Saldos Amigos is largely pretty forgettable. I mean, as with all of these packaged films that I'm going to be talking about, the individual segments in them can be quite charming, and I might be ha- like happily watch some of them on their own. But uh, putting them together all into it and calling it a feature it ends up being quite over- underwhelming. Mm. Saldos Amigos, especially because it is, does kind of feel like a documentary with a few of these little shorts thrown in, and the shorts themselves are not particularly mind-blowing or funny or anything. It, it does end up just kind of being pretty forgettable. Three Caballeros is a little more entertaining. Walt Disney does it again. For the merriest musical screen surprise of them all is headed your way. First, a new personality is added to the Disney Hall of Famous Characters. Panchito, the Mexican rooster. A two-gun charro who joins his fine-feathered friends Donald Duck and Joe Carioca. Son of a gun, it's a pleasure to see such fine gentlemen in Mexico. We're three caballeros, three gay caballeros. They say we are birds of a feather. We're happy amigos, no matter where he goes. The one, two, and three goes, we're always together. They're the three Caballeros, a reckless, amorous, swashbuckling trio riding a magic carpet to romance and adventure. And here's a surprise, a glimpse of the newest thing to hit the movie since talking pictures came in. Walt Disney actually combines for the first time on the screen cartoon with flesh and blood personalities. Well, I think it's more successful than the previous one. Some of the songs are super catchy. Some of the, like the Bahia sequence in Three Caballeros has some really impressive um, live out of action and animation blending. Yeah, Yeah, like some of the shots they create that are like, it's like taking place on a, like the open pages of a storybook, but there's a live action sort of set blending with the animation with live action actors dancing around, but also the animated characters on top of them. That's actually quite... That's pretty impressive considering the tech at the time, but yeah. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure so throughout all these films. that's kind of like uh, when films. Gene Kelly danced with um, Jerry the Mouse in Agatha yeah. yeah, and they got their money's worth out of that sort of thing during this during the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> Disney did, but... um, I suppose you had to appeal to uh, adults in a very direct way at this point. You, you had a lot of people in a lot of very dire situations that needed some light entertainment. Yeah, and, and I mean, again, as light entertainment or as a kind of a bit of infotainment these are pretty enjoyable as but they, they, i don't know they are nothing on par with disney aiming for their kind of fairy tale level big scale feature yeah, stuff yeah. that that's probably all the all i can really say about uh, saldos amigos and three caballeros it's fun kind of just seeing the south american flair and the different music and all that and yeah, uh yeah. and hitting that point in three caballeros where they start going pink elephants again and just decide like it feels like all right the animators got bored let's like and started just getting weird and just coming up with the weirdest imagery they could just to entertain themselves see it, that, and it's that fun to watch like if, if they went down to rio drank a lot of mescaline and then basically just started animating <laughs> yeah it, it's they're fun and it a fun bit to watch for the history of it but ultimately somewhat forgettable um and the and the rest that followed, I guess we can move on to some of the other the other ones that sort of fit together, like Make My Music followed in uh, 1946. At this point, the government incentives for these little package film formats weren't there anymore. But 
Disney Studios was still really on the ropes. A lot of staff had still been either drafted or was still striking. It was they could not afford to do a big feature at this point. So Disney kind of chose to stick with the really economical package format just to keep the department afloat. Um, This could not be labeled Disney shovelware, could it? I don't know if it's straight to video crap from the nineties, which Michael Eisner was behind. The thing is, I don't think they were really phoning it in. I think they were just like, all right, what this is all we we can do. Like, what can we do right now with like the budget we can afford? They're like, or we can still kind of make little shorts and we can still try to make something that appeals to people. And they basically were playing it very safe. Mm. It's more, more like those gaming eras when they're like, all right, no one's taking any risks anymore. And, uh, Mm, it gets more relevant by the day. Yeah. And which I mean is understandable because they literally could not afford a risk at this yeah. point. A lot of the and in fact these packaged films were kind of slowly building up funds to be able to take that next risk. Yeah, like these were the things that were going to fund Cinderella. And if Cinderella flopped, basically it, Disney animation was over, right. because by this point they had fi- like at this point Disney had started producing some live action films as well, way cheaper to make. Yeah, and, uh, and they like, were doing uh, uh, the nature related stuff as well. So they did. Um I can't name any documentaries. I want to say Nanook of the North, but I know that wasn't them. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, the Song of the South would come out the same year. Oh, as good Lord. Uh, I've never seen largely, that. What's uh, it like? I watched, I didn't um, watch the whole thing. I intended the whole thing later, but uh, I watched kind of like the first 20 minutes or so. It is kind of similar to some of these other ones that is mostly a live action story that has animated sequences throughout. It is, uh, there are definitely some catchy songs still from it, but it is very uncomfortable seeing it is basically just a, a tale set in actually post-civil war reformation area. So technically the, uh, the black people on sl- the plantations are not slaves anymore, technically, even though you can't really tell that just from watching, it just paints the whole era in a very idyllic, uh, good old days, sort of no conflict, no one's unhappy sort of thing, which is, a, which is pretty uncomfortable in now and may have even been a little bit then at the time. But uh, yeah, and it's it's overall pretty underwhelming what I've what I saw of it. So same period as the cartographer's handbook, though. Yeah, I should probably see this one. Just if for to nothing see else, what life was really like in the uh, <laughs> Reformation time, as remembered seventy or eighty years later by extremely by, naive people. Yeah, I have but, uh, major f-ing issues with Gone with the Wind, though. I think I may have mentioned that on the uh, the podcast we did about that. So, uh, yeah. Mm. And because I've Gone with the Wind coming out immediately before, no one really caught the fact that this was like that that it was set in the Reformation time either. Everyone just kind of assumed, oh, like it's like Gone with the Wind. It's set during the slavery time. <laughs> Songs so. of the South. It's like Gone with the Wind. They put that on the posters. <laughs> Zippity doo. Yeah. Oh, and it's got Br'er Rabbit in it as well. This is it does. Yeah, and that was the motivation. Like Disney was wanting to. Like there were those. Uh, what was the original? What were the stories from? I've taken us on a tangent. We're not actually supposed to be talking about Song of the South, but we can. And especially because I haven't seen it all the way through, I don't want to. I don't want to make big declarative statements about it. He was wanting to. Wilfred Jackson and Hal Foster. Yeah, uh, like he. The Disney was wanting to tell the little tales of like the the Br'er characters, the Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, and all that. And so the Song of the South, kind of the live action thing, was sort of the framing device for that especially because they couldn't do a full animated feature like he probably would have wanted to at this time. So that kind of the live action animation uh, combination was sort of the compromise he had to make. End result is uh, unfortunate and a little underwhelming. We'll we'll leave it at that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, make my music. It's the most fun you'll ever have listening to music. Lie number one. The magic of Walt Disney and the music of some of the all-time greats. They've gotten together to show you some of your very favorites, like Peter and the Wolf, Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet, he sang of a beautiful palace. All the cats join in. The whale who wanted to sing at the Met. So much more, you won't believe your eyes and ears. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Hi, you may remember me from such Disney presentations as Defura's Face and Songs of the South. It's true. 
But be careful. You may laugh so hard you won't be able to hear the music. Laughter not guaranteed. Be sure you see the extraordinary Make Mine Music. I do it! On the Disney Channel. Make Mine Music, during this period when Disney was kind of just having to stick with collections of shorts, he decided to kind of go with a pop fantasia kind of thing. They, they would, rather than doing big symphony music, Disney would collect together a bunch of popular um, pop music and folk music kind of of the day by popular artists that people would know and recognize and make kind of a Fantasia presentation out of them, make a bunch of animated shorts set to that music um, and kind of collect them all together in a bundle and release them theatrically. The first one of these was Make Mine Music, which ends up being as a whole, again, kind of underwhelming. Because like, there are some really entertaining shorts in there. Uh, there's one in particular that all the cats join in that I rather like. It's really kind of a set to sort of a swing music. It's got lots of uh, teen kids kind of going out and dancing jukeboxes. Yeah. And it, the, the visual style of it's really inventive and appealing and fun. But the less entertaining shorts included in the feature kind of just drag the whole thing down as a whole. But, uh, but yeah. So um, make mine music fun and fancy free. I know the most of, of all of them. That's the one with the bear, isn't it? Yeah. And that- and the, the 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 worst part of that one's the one with the guy with the ventriloquist dummy. That is so creepy. It's, uh, it's I'm not it's creeped like a, out by it, but it's just it doesn't add much. It's just kind of boring as a framing device. And- yes, Walt Disney gives free reign to his fancy, and all your favorites join in the songs and fun. Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, Little Luana Patton of Song of the South. And Jiminy Cricket, that cute little bug from Pinocchio, eavesdropping in. How would you like to hear me tell a story? Oh, I'd love it. Wouldn't you, Charlie? Well, I, uh, yeah. Cut that out, Charlie. It's a swell story with your old pal Mickey Mouse celebrating his 20th anniversary in motion pictures with Goofy and good old Donald Duck. You'll see them climb a magic beanstalk, find a magic castle, and meet that hilarious new Disney dope, Willie the Silly Giant. I got you! Then you'll meet Bongo, the daring young bear of the circus. There's adventure ahead when Bongo flees the circus for the free wildlife of the world. When a bird loves a bird, he can glitter. When a puppy falls in love, he can yap. Every pigeon likes to kill when he says, I love you. Uh, Fun and Fancy Free is probably my least favorite of all of these so far. Yeah. As a whole, just Bongo is dull beginning to end. <laughs> and yeah, again, with all of these, like some parts are a lot more interesting and stronger than others, but just the fact that there are weaker little se- sequences in each just kind of makes them sort of a wash overall, just not super fun. Like the, uh, the Martins and the Coys in my, Make My Music is actually kind of fun. I think it was cut later down the line. But it's, it uh, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, how did you acquire it then? Is it uh, an old DVD? I just found like I just found a like a one to download that someone had it still in there, and the sound was kind of desynced, so it was a so it was. Gotcha. But like I was still able to at least see it and see what it was originally. Yeah, yeah. Which which is, I'm glad I got to got to catch it. It's a piece but, of uh, history. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and yeah, like the Casey at the Bat sequence in uh, Make My Music, just uh, kind of just a baseball story. Is that one's pretty fun. The Peter and the Wolf isn't bad either. Like as a little, as a little segment inside there. Part, I, I guess partly because Sterling Holloway is narrating it, and anything he narrates in any of these films is mm. improved significantly. Absolutely. I think, I think he's actually from my dad's hometown. I think they're very proud of him, <laughs> or he was when he like when Sterling Holloway was alive. Uh, but yeah, like the the whale who wanted to sing at the Met. That's pretty fun too. Like. Uh, They've got fun stuff in them, it, but then a lot of other stuff that's all that's very forgettable. Fun and Fancy Free wasn't actually a musical compilation in a Fantasia style. It was just two... They basically pasted together two films that were kind of originally intended to maybe be features, but they weren't going to be able to make full features out of them, so they kind of just... Two lame films that they couldn't get to stand up on their own right. That, yeah, two, let's face it, that's what they were. They took two abandoned features, threw in Gemini Cricket and a Ventriloquist, and called it a film. <laughs> and it's really kind of all over the place and just 
kind of dull. Bo- the Bongo, the bear, is the first the first half of the film, like a circus bear who makes his way out into the woods and kind of learns and adapts. It's just boring. It not nothing terribly entertaining in it. Uh, I think they had to reduce a good bit of the story to to cut a bunch of it to reduce it down to length. I think they probably should have left more of it in because it just drags along. Yeah. Uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk is a little more entertaining, but it still just kind of feels dragged out to fill time. And the live action ventriloquist narrator that they keep cutting back to throughout doesn't add much of anything to keep it more interesting. It's at best kind of light entertainment at worst, just kind of boring or creepy depending on how you feel about ventriloquist dummies. Uh, this, I mean, even though I know that everything works out in the end for Disney, like this, it is kind of tragic seeing the state of arrested development that Disney animation hits in the forties overall. Like, yeah, after this such, is a low point. This it, one film is depressing are, to watch. This whole decade is just a, uh, for the most part, I guess, except for the very beginning, is a really dark time for Disney as a whole. Just after such incredible growth over those first five features and ambition, just this decade is really just them trying to keep the ship from sinking. And yeah, they're treading water. Yeah, yeah like and and I do see some slight growth in the animation and a bit of improvement, some technical advances here and there. But compared to the pace they'd been setting in the late thirties, it's just just it has slowed to a crawl yeah then i mean but i mean considering how much smaller budget these films had to have been there is still some impressive work and artistry happening some great animation some great backgrounds some creative little sequences i expect these years probably taught the studio how to work very efficiently which i'm sure came in handy down the road because this was still a bunch of artists who wanted to do their best work when wanted to be enabled able to do their best work I'm sure Maybe that's why they, they, they're still included in the canon, because these guys saved the asses of Disney for the future, really? and no one has the right to go, you know what, eh, they're not relevant anymore. If that's the case, Who Framed Roger Rabbit really needs to come back, because that one, too, absolutely saved Disney Animation Studios' ass. It was almost done until, like, basic, until Eisner came in and, and basically said, all right, let's do this Roger Rabbit thing, and then that kicked it off for the golden age we had that came later. So... They, were, they should put Roger Rabbit in the canon. 1988, it was one year before Little Mermaid, you're right. Yep, uh, Disney animation was near dead. Dead in the water. Yeah. Until, okay, yeah, so, that's good. Right, then in, in which case, Disney, if you want to keep these six in, stick Roger Rabbit in there too. And that's, and that's another If fun, not, remove them all. That's a fun bit of trivia for all... Eisner is very easy to hate for a lot of reasons, but keep in mind, he is the only reason the golden age of Disney ever happened. So, nice. worth remembering. More about that later. Yep. But, okay, so the... the Okay, after Fun and Fancy Free came Melody Time. Again, very Pop Fantasia collection of shorts. Some of them really... Like, I really like the Bumblebookie one, the Flight of the Bumblebee. It's like a bee trying to escape a bunch of instruments, basically, that are just uh, chaotically falling and crashing all around it. It's, it's actually quite fun. You say Pop Fantasia, but Pop back in those days wasn't the same thing. I mean, like, uh, the Blue Bayou one... Um, it was originally animated for Claire de Lune, it says here, and then replaced by a new song, Blue Bayou. Performer. Who are the Kenda? So, so they were trying to do Fantasia with classical music, and then the Ken Darby singers came along. Yeah. Dating it like fuck straight away. Yeah, they were trying to find recognizable acts from the time what some of them kind of from the more pop and swing and the music of the time some of them a bit more folksy and stuff that maybe everyone would kind of be more familiar with or at least performed by people that they were that people of the time would be familiar with it's, it's really hard to conceptualize pop music in the 40s because the teenager thing had not happened yet so it's like pop music in the 40s it's not even quite yet to mr sandman it's close to that but it's it's there aren't there's not rock and roll yet, so it's when you see pop, it's just like easy listening shit shingles. And, I mean, there's like the, I mean, the swing thing was happening by then, right? Like kind of the big like the swing dancing, yes. like the kids going out and going. Like, oh, Betty Goodman, yeah, well, that was yeah, that was important. Yeah, that. So jazz, like, of course, had happened. Yeah, if, like that. If basically, Disney had just done a jazz Fantasia. That would have been interesting. I'd have, see. I would love to see Fantasia type things. I would love to see what. Pixar would do with a Fantasia type format or some other animation studio yeah. like just to just just it's a fun format and we've learned a lot about animation and like making engaging films and stuff since then it, I I wonder what I mean, I'm sure eventually Disney's going to make another one like eventually it'll have been long enough 
the nostalgia will kick in and we'll still say, all right, let's make Fantasia again. Let's make another Here's Fantasia. Here's an idea, folks. Make 10 pieces and have each one represent a decade of the 20th century and take us through the 20th century oh, and basically stuff. Awesome. Yeah. That'd totally. be awesome. I'd love that. And then basically, end on like like the the ninth one can be like hip hop from the very very early nineties, <laughs> where it was like, well, I went to the hat store today and I got myself a hat. Oh god! But like the eighties one will be so good. I, I don't know. Just yeah. I, I think something that makes a, a proud statement on the twentieth century. I think that would be cool. That would be. I would. I would definitely watch that. I, I, I like the samba sequence in Melody Time as well, and the and the little winter time um, short. Again, inter, little entertaining shorts interspersed with kind of less entertaining or just kind of sort of boring ones. It actually these this era of the more sort of popular music, more current music, Fantasia. It feels like Fantasia two thousand is kind of a balance strike trying to strike a balance between these two kinds of Fantasia film, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. classical music, but really trying to keep it upbeat and entertaining, dialing back on the abstract a little bit, trying to like bring in personalities that you that people know and recognize to introduce the different pieces. Try to go for a bit more humor and Steve Martin, yeah. yeah, rather than that that guy going, you know, that uh, this is from the the hours when the hours were. And I, you got Steve Martin, someone yeah. nice and cuddly. Yeah, I, I prefer Fantasia two thousand to Fantasia. I actually far. do too. I totally understand why somebody wouldn't, but for me, I feel like they do kind of hit a nice balance between what Fantasia was trying to do w- mm. along with while also keeping it engaging and entertaining throughout. So I think Fantasia 2000 I actually do prefer. Well, it's, it's, it's got um, a Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. Which oh. I prefer to almost everything in the original Fantasia. That kind of That basically is jazz Fantasia. Yeah. There oh. you go. I love that. Okay, we'll talk about it later. Yep. But, um, but yeah, this whole time... But that, all that's going to be a, during a dark podcast when we talk oh. about basically what happened between the third renaissance and um, the Lasseter years. Yeah. Oof, not, not really looking forward to knowing what happened with Disney. Okay, folks, uh, in the, in the meantime, while you are gearing up to watch that, find these movies online. Okay, the documentaries on what happened to Disney. Dream on, silly dreamer. Oh, if no. you want to die inside... <laughs> It's basically about how uh, Disney was slowly closing down and slamming the doors on 2D cell animation. I'm only telling you this now because you guys should watch this before we get to that stage in this series. And it's, it's, it's unofficial because not nice things are said about Disney. And you can find it I think it's on iTunes. You can probably find it elsewhere. Uh, Dream on Silly Dreamer. Andreas Deja is one of the most angry animators i've ever seen in that and he was not always i mean he's not always that way too which makes it really hard seeing him in that state yeah uh so there's that what are the ones that are relevant to around this period or or before uh let's see i know there's one i'm completely spacing out on. you could probably watch the pixar story for a bit of context kind of earlier on like uh Cause last that'll, make, that'll that'll make you feel better after watching uh dream on silly dream yeah. like through, basically through lassiter's journey you'll get kind of uh more of a glimpse of the tail end of what Disney Animation was looking at, what it was looking like before he before he left it, and uh, yeah, and it'll leave you with a bit more of an uplifting feel. So watch that one next. But yeah, there's not a whole lot more really to be said about Melody Time or uh, Make My Music. Any of these films, they are fun to watch, just kind of just for the history lesson and for the context and. Some um, you probably actually have a lot of you actually probably have seen some of these shorts and sequences on their mm. own independently because they do appear in other Disney shorts compilations or uh, just have appeared just kind of like on the Disney Channel or are just shown independently. But uh, yeah, on the whole, they're fairly lackluster. But they were they, Disney was slowly rebuilding funds and trying to re to get the studio back together, try to get all the talent back under one roof and trying to gear back up for another massive fairy tale that would follow pretty soon after. And everything was riding on that one. Waking Sleeping Beauty. Oh, yeah, that's the one. That's the right, one. Okay, describe what when Waking Sleeping Beauty is set. That's, is that just before the Third Renaissance? That is. That is kind of that era right when Eisner and what, what's the other guy's name? Um, uh, Bill Igor? 
Bob Igor? Uh, no, is uh, he, he later? He came a bit later. There's another guy who was kind of also more directly, like Iger was much more. Uh, not oh, Iger. yeah, that, he, he and uh, Eisner really clashed, didn't they? Hang on. Uh, uh, some, but, the, but he, I mean, they were kind of also like. Um, it's Iger and this guy both, like, there are lots of decisions they made later, later that I very much disagree with, and it's very easy to paint them as villains for, but they were both super instrumental in that golden age of Disney right there in the 90s. And there I, was a couple. A couple of things. Hang on, you said Eisner. You mean uh, you said Iger? You mean Eisner? I did. Ugh. Sorry. Whatever. <laughs> but it's their fault for having very similar sounding names. Yeah. Hang on. Uh, Jeffy Katzenberg. That's or? him. Yes. That's the Katzenberg. One. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, you will see a lot of uh, Eisner and Katzenberg basically, and it's a very weird perspective on Disney animation history because it is very business. And like, it's very focused on the business side and on like the business decisions being made and on the business people making them. And the artists make actually making the films themselves are kind of a little bit more in the background or or at least they are not the central focus. You're seeing kind of both sides at the same time, which is pretty unique for these sort of documentaries. And yeah. you get a sense for both like the good that these business guys did in making this stuff happen. Also, how much those two sides kind of clashed on stuff and how yeah. at, at odds they could be. and But all of this being during the time right when Disney animation was about to be arguably at the best it had ever, like, at the best it had ever been. And some might argue the best it ever got. It's, it's very, it's a very interesting one to watch. And actually that's probably the first one to watch because it's, you will see it right. It's kind of like yeah, time, timeline wise, see where it was. Then see, then dream on silly dreamer to see just like the empire, fell down. empire strikes back of this trilogy, and then uh, the Pixar story just to bring you back up again. Yeah, it, it's less relevant to the to Disney's overall journey, but it definitely will. Some, yeah. Katzenberg is in it. You'll see some of the same characters in it, and it will at least leave you feeling better. Unless I'm much mistaken, there's a bit where they're talking about uh, Beauty and the Beast, um, and. Uh, they talk about Howard Ashman, who uh, yeah. that is so heartbreaking. It absolutely that bit. Well, is. Um, he's uh, uh, one of the guys who worked on Little Shop of Horrors, and uh, he really understood what it takes to get a, a heroine on the audience on side with the heroine, and um, basically, he died just as Beauty and the Beast was coming out, and he wasn't around to see the fruits of his labors as, as he helped Disney finally just whack it out of the park and like, you know, start hitting home run after home run. Yeah. He was one point. of the best so, lyricists who ever worked for d- these Disney musicals. And he and Alan Menken together were just like a unstoppable yeah. songwriting team. There's a- another very hard to get hold of uh, documentary, like totally like I- impossible to find anywhere. <laughs> it's know. called, you know, what I'm about, the sweat box. Oh, I was thinking of... Wait, hang on. Oh, wait, okay. You say yours first. That, that actually might be the same one I was thinking of. I just couldn't remember the title. Hang on. Right. Um, the, the Sweatbox is the name of the uh, like the, the screening studio that uh, Walt and company used to sit in um, uh, way back in the day and sort of uh, look at the early rough footage and, and discuss it. However, the documentary is made by... I think it's by the wife of Sting. That's the one. Yes, that's the one that's I was one, thinking right. of. <laughs> okay. Um if you've seen The Emperor's New Groove and you know about the fact that it was originally going to be a, a, a serious um, movie called Kingdom Sun, but then after, let's face it, after DreamWorks made um, Road to El Dorado and, and it bombed and no one gave a toss, Disney went, oh God, we can't release basically the same film. So they had to completely pull it apart and then pull it back together again. Now, The Sweatbox was a documentary made at the time when they didn't know that this was going to turn out to be quite a really great, fun, madcap, screwball comedy that, again, nobody was going to give a toss about, but was going to be rescued. And basically, it's, it's an unpleasant side of, the, uh, the, uh, of movie production. And um, it, it's a fantastic story, the way they managed to rescue this film from being just shit-canned. But... Um, but you don't get that perspective in this. It's just basically high, high pressure of, uh, of trying to make a film and people going, I was promised this while well, I was told this. I can't work under these conditions. And it's, 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 it's um, uncomfortable to watch. But at the same time, it humanizes everybody there because there's so... And this is what I'm trying to do with this series. Every time 
you see any documentary about Disney, it always starts with the sparkling, and then you get the voiceover going, it's time for the magic. Everything about Disney is painted in such an unrealistic way and such, so, like, like so beyond the reality of the actual real people at its core. Now, the reason that Disney resonates with so many people is that at its core, it tells very human stories. There are dozens of films on this list which don't actually really um, make a huge impact, but there are others which just burrow down into your heart because you identify with what's going on on screen. And I think that Disney should maybe uh, allow the curtain to be drawn back a little bit more because it almost feels like video game production. You know how that, that that's really kind of this sort of off-screen nebulous thing. Like the production diaries on The Emperor's New Groove, you've got the director sort of turn up and go, oh, hey, didn't see you there. Let me take you to, this is how, where the magic happens. And they run around the place and there's not a mention of Kingdom of the Sun. No one mentions it. It didn't exist. Um, but but the sweatbox tells a different story and says, no, there was this, this other thing that it was going to be and it was very, very painful dragging it out. Maybe there's a feeling that if they show their weakness, their humanity, the, 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 the slightly darker side of it, that people will, that the magic spell will be broken. But I actually think it'll be strengthened. Because Especially on these it, older it, ones. Yeah. It'll be based on something real. Yeah, it's, if you definitely, if you want to see a very real look at what a production looks like from the inside in progress when it's not, when it's feeling really shaky and no one involved is certain that this is going to work. And like everyone's kind of starting to have their doubts. Like everyone's getting the feeling that they're working on something that's going to go really bad, which is a terrifying, like prolonged like scenario for an animation studio. Then that, then that film will give you that look and it's, a, a lot more films feel like this from the inside. Even the ones that turn out being great, a lot more feel like this than you'd probably initially expect. I was going to ask, actually, having been on both sides of this, um, you've, you've been through your, your share of deadlines and pressures and uh, I would imagine probably a few shouting matches. You definitely, there's, you're in a studio with a lot of very creative, very talented people. And everyone has kind of different ideas for what is going to make a project work. And sometimes the people who are in charge, like their ideas are not like just they're not able to execute. Sometimes they are. It's it's there's a lot of trust involved in doing this sort of work. And I imagine in live action film as well, just because it requires so many people involved. And uh, yeah, it just when you are when you are seeing a thing being made and you don't you don't get to see the finished project yet. You don't get to see how you don't, you can't see how good it's going to eventually be when it's all just kind of uncertainty and hope. And you're just hoping to steer it along the right way, along the right path as you go. That is definitely a scary place. I haven't been in a place where I've actually had to be directing something like that. That's going to be terrifying, <laughs> but <laughs> you say that as though that actually may genuinely come to pass. Is it, do you have hope for the future that you may? I don't see myself as being the directing type, honestly. I think I'm much more, I function much better as a support like person. Like, I find a person, and I think extra credits is much the same way. I have found a person whose work I absolutely believe in, and I'm going to work very hard to make that happen and make that and put that in front of as many people as I can. So I, I think I function much better as a supporting staff than a director leading role person. But I, I honestly would not want the level of sheer terror <laughs> that I think. Trying, I've seen how scared some of these super talented guys are who direct, even like a small, even a short that's just going to be released like on the Disney Channel or whatever. Like, they want this thing to be to to be its best and to be so good. And there's immense pressure, and they work very, very hard. And it's 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 very inspiring, but also really scary to watch. For the melody time of your life, it's Walt Disney's gay, sparkling, delightful new musical comedy, Melody Time. Eleven popular music stars, seven smash song hits to lift you to the skies, riotous comedy to bring you down to earth again, setting a new and exciting pace in mirthful, melodious entertainment. Roy Rogers singing Blue Shadows and narrating the hilarious tale of Pecos Bill. Thank you. 
dramatizes Johnny Appleseed and sings in his own inimitable way the apple song. There's apple, there's an apple that the recipe's a your hat. Why, I could carry on like this all day. The Andrews Sisters in the delightful story of Little Tooth. You'll love it. But it seems that little toot simply didn't give a hoot. Though he tried to be good, he never could behave. Bumble Boogie by Freddie Martin and his orchestra. Ethel Smith plays Blame It on the Samba. And three popular friends, Donald Duck, Joe Carioca, and Eric Kwan, add to the high-voltage rhythm. Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Oh, yeah, that's what right. What is that one like? So this was the last package film that uh, Disney Studios produced for a long time uh, before they finally got back to their uh, to their features. And uh, it's kind of a lot like fun and fancy free in that it's made up of two films kind of bundled together that were originally meant to be features, but kind of got abandoned. Like uh, Wind in the Willows was one of them, which was started years earlier, I think back around like Dumbo kind of mm. time. Uh it was only partially finished before World War II messed everything up for them. And by the and time... More, more people than just Disney. Yeah, really, <laughs> like, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but by the time they got back around to it, I, I feel like I think the studio decided it really didn't meet the standard of what they could do now anymore. Like, they felt like they'd grown a lot. And mm. so the quality of the work they felt uh, was just substandard. And as for Sleepy Hollow, they... Um, that actually was meeting their standards uh, visuals-wise, but they it just wasn't quite long enough to merit being a full theatrical feature release. I mean, it's less than an hour. Mm-hmm. And so they just decided, no, oh, we'll pack them together and release them as a bundle of a tale of two jerky people, from one from America, <laughs> one, from, one from Britain. <laughs> How does, uh, I mean, have you seen the Burton Sleepy Hollow recently? Not recently. It was a while ago. We saw it for last Halloween. I actually still really like it. I remember liking it too, but yeah, like it's a. So just, actually, again, it's you're gonna have to describe it film. as though people have never actually seen these because chances are they haven't. Right. So the Wind in the Willows is basically the story of eccentric rich guy Mr. Toad, who uh, exhausts his friends by being just the kind of person who passionately finds a thing to obsess over. <laughs> At the expense of, <laughs> at the expense of all of his money, all of his like uh, reputation time. and time, and yeah, is the kind of guy who will, who you could very easily believe would sign away his family mansion for a car that he liked. Is there a modern day equivalent of Mister Toad that you can think of? Someone, I mean, not anyone on this podcast, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... God, in animation, if that narrows it down. Um, who's just like exuberance personified? It's, it can't just be exuberance, though. It has to be self-destructive exuberance. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Homer. Yeah, actually. Yeah. If Homer had a ton of money. Yeah. If, if Homer could become the huge golden statue god he wanted to be. Or crusty if he wasn't jaded. Yeah, actually, Krusty would probably be a really good one, too. A condor egg omelet. Mm, I can go for one of those right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is funny that both of these stories, both uh, both Ichabod and Mr. Toad, are just ultimately very like obnoxious, horrible people. Well, not horrible, but really unpleasant people. Yeah, Ichabod is something of a dick in uh, the the original. But I actually have I've read the original book recently in in my uh, research. Uh, so uh, it's uh, if anyone's seen the Tim Burton version, they they add a whole lot of extra action to that, and like many many acts and lots of intrigue and plot and all of this. It's just about a school teacher who's a bit skittish and then gets run out of town under suspicious circumstances by a ghost who was probably just the town bully. I mean, ultimately, it's actually a pretty entertaining 
pair of movies, especially compared to some of these other package films they've been releasing. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's certainly not the cream of the crop as far as Disney quality is concerned. But I mean, you, it's enjoyable. Enjoyable. Uh, is that who who narrates them? I think it was Nick Sinatra does one of them. Oh no, uh, Bing, Bing Crosby and Basil yeah, Bing Crosby Rathbone. does one of them, and he's which is tonally a little bit weird. Just to suddenly go into a Bing Crosby kind of crooning song immediately after, like, the big, terrifying Headless Horseman chase. Oh, yeah, he actually <laughs> plays Ichabod as well. And, yeah, so, and oh, Brombone. Right. So, basically, yeah, he's, he's, he, he vocalizes everybody in that. So, yeah, you have, the big, you have the big chase through the forest. The Ichabod's being terrified and all the kind of slapstick running away. And then, the, as the, the story goes, Ichabod's never voice. seen again. And it's like, who knows? Maybe he vanished. Maybe he left. Maybe he died. And then Bing Crosby just starts kind of doing a crooning song, like a <laughs> song, which is just, I don't know. It's it, it's more funny than anything. But, they uh, appear to have given names to these uh, characters from Wind in the Willows, including Angus McBadger. Or were they not named? Or I guess were they just Badger? I think it was just called Badger, yeah. It was Badger, Molly, Ratty, and Mr. Toad. All right. Oh, J. Thaddeus Toad. Let's give him his J. proper name. Thaddeus Toad. That's a good name. Uh, so, yeah, uh, serviceable, vaguely enjoyable, nowhere near the uh, what Disney were capable of within just a few scant years. Yeah, I mean, more enjoyable than... I mean, I'd probably rather watch this than a lot of the other package films at this point, pr- probably more than any of them, looking back. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, compared to the sort of greatness that Disney's about to get back into it is a uh, it's just kind of a small enjoyable inoffensive little pair of movies and to put it in perspective it was released in October of 49 and in February of 1950 came Cinderella so mere months afterwards i think the music probably helps to tie it to the uh, the main body of disney work rather than the the sort of the wartime package stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a, a lot of my early Disney knowledge came from what I could piece together from the LP I had of various <laughs> Disney songs and Bing Crosby's Headless Horseman was on there. Ah. Um, so that, and uh, the other one that I remember very vividly as being on there was the, um, uh, the We Are Siamese cat song from Lady and the Tramp. So mm. that, that, context for me kind of they all feel solid together that gotcha. makes sense yeah see i my some of my earliest disney memories were not necessarily seeing the films because we didn't go to the cinema very often but i had a lot of the books on tape so uh like uh, i don't know if you ever got these down but they were like little picture books um with sort of like a really br- like basic simplified version of the story but with sort of replicated disney art in, in again simplified uh, terms so i kind of i got to know the stories through that so then when i saw the films i was like wow this is way more complex than I w- i've been led to believe you can <laughs> tell they're simplified from things like where bambi finishes yeah, and where the fox and the hound finishes, where uh, like smack bang in the middle. Like I didn't realize there was a whole another like half to this film. Well, they just where does Bambi's audio? And Bambi stop? and his mom went off into the meadow and all lived happily ever after. All right, well, like, straight after the winter fun. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, you'll you'll love my version of Old Yeller. <laughs> you guess what happens long. or rather what doesn't happen <laughs> yeah um anyway but yeah that's what i i i, uh, I listened to over and over again on my, on my fisher price tape recorder until i wore them out you know they had like a little sing-along version of dalmatian plantation which wasn't in the final film i was like oh but um but yeah that was that was me growing up with disney so it's like i kind of i, I went back to these classics retrospectively in later years join us next week where we get our teeth into an abiding classic with cinderella join in the merry mad adventures and escapades of that rich reckless uproarious rake the magnificent mr toad and his crazy cronies mr rat and mr mole as they step out of the pages of kenneth graham's hilarious tale the wind in the willows as told by that inimitable storyteller basil rathbone For a rollicking ride through Sleepy Hollow, Walt and Bing bring to laughable, colorful light Washington Irving's exciting legend. 
with that awkward schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane. Ichabod, maybe Crane, maybe Arden, maybe he ain't. Anyway, there's no complaint from Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane, daring, reckless, losing his heart to Katrina the cutie. Yeah. And his head when pursued by the hair-raising headless horseman. Yeah! <laughs>